0: How's everyone doing? Yeah, it's good to see you guys. I always wonder when people are watching online or something, and, or maybe it's your first time here and it's either me or Greg teaching and it's like, I thought Pastor Corey was a lot younger, you know? And, uh, you yeah, know, but you got me today, so. My name is Mike and I am the development pastor. Yeah, I know, cheap applause, cheap applause. Yeah, thank you. Uh, So I'm the development pastor for our network of churches, so it's really good to be here with you guys. And um, what we do here is we just kinda go through books of the Bible. We're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. We started it back in January, and we're in chapter eight today, which means we're halfway through Corinthians. So it's 16 chapters, so we're gonna hit the halfway part today. So that's what we're gonna be thinking about here in just a little bit. I don't know if you guys realize it, but two years ago this weekend, was the last weekend that we met together before we went on uh, live stream for a few months during the COVID stuff. And so two years later, here we are, back worshiping the Lord and celebrating what he's done in us and through us. So yeah, very, very grateful for that. You know? And we're grateful for all that God has taught us over these last two years. So uh, thank you for being here with us this morning. So last week, Pastor Corey, took us through the rest of chapter seven of the book of 1 Corinthians, and he had taught the first half of it a week or so ago, and then in teaching that, one of the focuses was being present wherever God has placed you, whether you're married, whether you're single, wherever you are, be present in that with the Lord. And then last week, he talked about the fact and asked the question, are we living in spirit and in truth, And are we allowing the spirit and the truth to guide our decisions? How how that works is that sometimes people are so heavy on the spirit they forget the truth of God's word, or they're so heavy on the truth of God's word they make no room for the spirit. And Corey reminded us, no, there's a balance in there where we allow the spirit of God and the word of God to lead us and to direct us and to work in us and through us. And so now as we come to chapter eight, Paul is gonna answer a question dealing with the issue of meat offered up to idols. And as he does that, the question I want us to ask of ourselves this week is do we love our brothers and sisters in Christ more than we love our preferences? And so this is a topic that's amazingly appropriate for us where we are today in our culture. In fact, it's always amazing to me to think that Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago And 2,000 years ago, while it was very applicable, obviously, to the church there at Corinth and in the situation they found themselves, here we are 2,000 years later, and it's still as appropriate and relevant and applicable to us today. And if the Lord should tarry, and 500 years from now, our great-great-great-grandchildren are gathered here, they're gonna be still listening to God speak to them through his word. And so this is why we go through books of the Bible line by line, chapter by chapter, because the Spirit of God who wrote this knew we'd be here today and that there would be some things we need to hear and need to grow in. So that's what we're gonna be doing today, thinking about this idea. So if you came in, you should have received a a notes handout. I, I saw the empty baskets out there, so maybe you didn't get one. If you didn't get one, you can go to the app if you haven't already downloaded that, go to the Experience Community app, click on Sermon Notes. Everything I say is going to be on there as well as the scriptures I'm going to be reading. And then every, the notes will be up on the screens where you guys are sitting, so you should be able to see that. If you get tired of looking at me, you can look at that. You know, so There you go. All right. Everybody good? Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump in. Let's see where God takes us this morning, okay? Our Father, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful that your word is truth and that because of it, we can hear it and then it can penetrate our lives in such a way that we don't just remain hearers, but we become doers of it as well. Father, I'm grateful that you've gathered us here this morning and grateful that we can worship and listen and learn. I do pray for all the other campuses uh, in Shelbyville and Cannon County, blessed them as they are meeting even right now. I pray, Father, that you would bless all the other churches that are gathered in our city and in this middle Tennessee area who are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. May many lives be transformed because of what you're gonna do all across our city and across this middle Tennessee region. So, Father, be with us right now. Use us for your glory. We ask in your powerful and wonderful name. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so again, it's only 13 verses, so we'll get through it pretty, pretty quick, but uh, there's a lot of depth here, and so we want to make sure that we hear what God is saying to us through Paul. So the first three verses of chapter 8 begin like this. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God... He is known by him. So the question that is being asked is about food offered up to idols. One of the things we forget is how young this Corinthian church is. In fact, all the churches there in the New Testament were all very, very young. In fact, we just celebrated 13 years in February. February 15th was our 13th year anniversary, and the Corinthian church was younger than we are. And then Christianity had really only been around for 25 years, it had been about 25 years since Jesus resurrected and ascended into heaven. So the people who were being saved in that church, there were some Jewish people that were being saved, so they at least had some Old Testament background but the majority of the people were Gentiles who were coming out of pagan religions. And so they had no knowledge of anything about Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. They didn't know any of the Psalms. They didn't know any of those things. And so they had a ton of questions about what it meant to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. And they wanted to know how can they navigate some of the cultural questions that they were facing having come out of idol worship. And so what Paul has been doing throughout this entire letter has been helping the Corinthians understand that the church of Jesus Christ is to be built on Jesus Christ and on the gospel of the good news that he has come, he has died, he has resurrected for our sins, and that you can have freedom in him. And so what this church was doing, though, instead of elevating Jesus and the gospel, they were elevating what they called knowledge, And knowledge in that Greek system was a study in and of itself that would often make people feel very prideful about what they knew and what the things they could talk about. And so what they began to do is to focus not on Jesus, but on how much knowledge they had. And so they pursued knowledge and not Jesus. And even today, we face that same thing where there are a lot of us who may know a lot of things and we boast in that. And the reality is, though, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, the only one we should boast in is boast in Jesus and then uh, use that boasting to not only lift him up, but to build up others. And so this is what Paul says early. Knowledge puffs up but love builds up. So you can know a lot about Jesus and not love your neighbor like you should. We need to be people who love knowledge of Jesus, not so that we can be knowledgeable, but so that we can be servants of others. Because pride always destroys. Whenever I think I'm smarter than anyone else, that means I am looking down on someone. I am thinking I have achieved something more than them. And so pride led these Corinthians to think that they were better than what is going to be called the weaker Christians. And Paul says, if you think you're better than others and you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you're really not as smart as you think you are. Because what happens is you can tell if a person is truly following Jesus by their words and their actions. It is out of the mouth that we speak what's in our hearts. And so we have to recognize that being known by God is a humbling thing. In fact, it's so humbling because we know we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, that we are saved by grace alone. And if we are saved by grace alone, there's nothing we can boast in that makes us better than anyone else. Being saved by grace reminds us that at the cross, truly the ground is level, and we all come as needy sinners who need to be saved. And so as we become more a follower of Jesus and become more humble, instead of being led by our knowledge, we should be led by love. Because if we know that we've been extended grace, then we should be quick to extend grace to others. In fact, Jesus said that when you ask for forgiveness, you forgive. ask God to forgive you as you forgive others. Because if you know how much you've been forgiven, forgiving others should be a thing that we do. So God's grace towards us was always fueled and continues to be fueled by his love, his love for us, which means that when we show grace to others, we are showing God's love to them. And this is what makes us the kind of people that we should be. So when we express grace, we do it through love, and that should be the foundation for everything that we do and how we relate to one another. We should be a group of people that are always thinking about how we can love one another, how we can extend grace to one another, and how we can serve one another. In fact, throughout this lesson, you're gonna hear two words a lot, humility and love, because the more I know who Jesus is, the more I recognize who I am, that I needed a Savior, which humbles me so that now I can love others even if they are far from God because I know how much love I have been extended. Next part, verses four through six. About eating food sacrificed to idols then, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called idols or so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. All right, so what about food offered to idols is the question. So Paul, again, reminds them of the foundation that we are built on the love of Jesus Christ. So he lays that foundation and so I can hear the Corinthians saying, okay, so what about food offered up to idols? Well, Paul still has one more foundational thing he wants to cover before he gets into the actual answer that they are asking about. And he's gonna answer three questions. First, what's an idol? Second, who is God? And third, who is Jesus? And that's gonna help them then move into the thing about food offered to idols. So what he says is that idols are nothing in the world. And what does he mean by that? Well, in Paul's time, idols were everywhere. They were worshiped by the Gentiles. I had the privilege about 15 years ago to go to India, and I got to walk through those streets, and everywhere you go in India, there are idols everywhere. You can find them in little grottos. You can find them in little rooms. You can find them in big temples. You can find them in homes. Everywhere you go, there were idols, and people worshiping the idols or bringing some kind of sacrifice. Well, we don't see that much in America. So for us, that culture is a little weird unless we go to a place like India. But in Paul's time for the Gentiles, they had idols everywhere. They had household idols. So you had a God in your home that you worshiped. But they also had idols that were over the guilds, the trade guilds. So that's like if you were a plumber and you were part of the plumber's union, you would have a God that was your patron God that you gave homage to, that you worshiped. Or if you were a woodworker, you would have your special patron God that you gave worship to. So in your home, you'd had gods. At your work, you had gods. But then there were gods over cities and gods over nations. And so everywhere you turned, there were gods available to be worshiped. And Christianity radically challenged that idea and radically changed the world because Christians claimed that there was only one God, all the other so-called gods were nothing. They were useless. They were dead. They, they didn't exist. In fact, in that culture, the Roman culture called Christians atheists because we believed in only one God. They believed in multiple gods, but because we claimed there was only one, we were the atheists, which is a little weird to be thinking about, right? But what Paul is saying is, look, you can claim that there is a, there's only one God and you are right But how you use that knowledge can be used in a wrong way. So Corey has been hitting on this as we've been going through 1 Corinthians. There are a lot of things that the Bible doesn't necessarily prohibit. But if we act on certain things with wrong motives or wrong uh, desires, it can make it wrong. So Paul agreed, hey, there is no God but one. It's the God we worship, the God of Jesus Christ. For these Corinthians, though, for some of them, that knowledge puffed them up to the point of looking down on the weaker Christians who were still trying to come to grips with that knowledge. They had been worshiping all these pantheon of gods. They now come to faith in Jesus Christ. They're trying to figure everything out. And these so-called smarter, wiser, mature Christians were saying, you guys need to step it up. But here's the thing that humbles all of us. You realize that as a Christian, that you never discover anything, God always reveals things to us, okay? And what do I mean by that? I know like some of you, when you share your testimony, you say, oh, I was da, 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 and I found God. Well, We know God wasn't lost, right? And it's really the question is not that did God find me, or I find God, it's that God found me, right? God saved me, he came to where I was. And so there are times where maybe you've been reading the Bible, maybe even before you were a believer, maybe you grew up in church, and you would read the Bible. But now when you read the Bible as a believer, there are things that you see in there that you never saw before. Why is that? It's because God is revealing that to you. You're not discovering knowledge. God is graciously giving that to us. And when we understand that it's a gift given, we don't boast because you don't boast in gifts. You just gladly receive them. And so we have to be that kind of people, that this knowledge that God has given us should not puff us up, it should humble us. So again, Paul did say that these gods were really not gods. Now in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, we'll get to that in a few weeks, he's gonna say that actually these idols behind them are demonic activity. There's demons that are behind that. And so whether you worship the stars and the planets, whether you worship nature, whether you worship any of these idols, anything, these people who were worshiping those idols were being fooled because there is only one true God who exists. And by the way, he's the God that created the stars and the sun and the planets and the trees and people. He's the one. He's the creator God. Why would you worship the creation when you can worship the creator of all things? This is what he says and Paul says in Romans 1. And so everything exists. To bring God glory, Paul is saying, through God, all things have come into existence. So he's saying, listen, there is only one God that is worthy of worship, and it's the God of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is our one true Lord. So in that time, in the time that Paul is writing, the claim that would often be said by people is Caesar is Lord. But not Christians. Christians proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord. And so in worshiping Jesus, Jesus is God the Son who reveals the Father to all of us. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And not only that, Jesus was the agent through whom God created all things. We find that in John chapter one. And so even the animals that were being offered to these idols, those animals were created by and through the Lord Jesus Christ, which reminds us that good gifts of God are to be celebrated from the Lord. So, what Paul is saying now is he's building his case about meat offered up to idols. He says, strictly speaking, meat offered up to idols isn't a sin. But what he's also saying, but you better check your motive as to why you're doing what you do. I mean, you guys recognize that you can do the right thing and it can be tainted by your motive. It's like you guys are here for worship. It'd be very lonely if you weren't here. So, I'm glad you guys are here, right? But, you know, maybe you're saying you came to worship today because you're like, man, I got a job interview on Tuesday. Let me go check in with God, <laughs> let him see me in church, and then I'll have a good interview. You know, I mean, sometimes we kind of operate on this like Christian karma kind of thing, right? If I do something good for God, he'll do something good for me. So the good thing is come to worship. The bad thing is our motives may be in the wrong place. And that's the thing that we need to be reminded of is that when we worship the Lord, we are not worshiping him for just what we get from him. We are worshiping him for who he is. All right, so now he's gonna answer the question. So let's look at this last part, verses seven through 13. However, not everyone has this knowledge. And what's the knowledge? Well, that idols are nothing, that there's only one God, and there's Jesus Christ. So not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat or we are not better if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. So there's the key, right? Don't let that happen. Verse 10, for if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now, when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, If food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. All right, so what's going on here? Well, hey, listen, first of all, new believers need nurturing. Paul said that no one can expect a new believer in Christ who has recently come out of this pagan lifestyle to have the same knowledge that a mature Christian has. If you like me, so uh, my youngest grandson, he is six months old. His name is Thomas. And so when his mom, mom and dad, so my son Hunter and his wife Jackie, when, when they had Thomas six months ago in October, they didn't bring him home, put him in the middle of the floor and say, uh, The refrigerator's over here, Thomas, if you need anything. <laughs> Bathroom is just right around the corner. Hey, we're going to go and have dinner if you need it, you know, take care of everything. You now that we call that abandonment, right? That's child abuse. And yet what we often think is that sometimes new believers should be just as far along as we are at having us having walked with Jesus maybe for years and maybe for decades. In fact what the Bible teaches us is that we need to be careful with new believers, helping them to figure out what it means to be a Christian. Helping them to learn that both by our teaching, by our example, by everything we do, they learn from us. So for these Christians, it wasn't just food offered to idols. They were still just trying to figure out what does it mean to be a Christian in this pagan world in which I've come out of. And when you have patterns in your life that you've been operating in for your entire life, that develops habits that are incredibly hard to break. We talk about things like addiction and things like that, that it's hard to come out of that. So even a new believer who has been a person coming out of those lifestyles, even with the Holy Spirit's help, it's sometimes very difficult to break those patterns of sin. And so what Paul is saying is, look, if you're a mature Christian, you should work with these new believers and not against them by possibly encouraging them to go back into an old behavior that will lead them back into bondage. Because sometimes we, as people who may have been Christians for a while, we forget what it was like to be a new believer. We forget what it was like to try to break free from some of the old strongholds that held us in captivity. But we can't forget that. We need to be men and women who say, we will do whatever it takes to live lives that honor the Lord and help new believers to grow. So we have to be careful how we live our lives. So for Paul, the issue wasn't the food, it was the weak or the new believer. He didn't look at the practice, he looked at the person. So a mature Christian, when they ate that steak, they knew it was just steak. God created the cow. The cow gave his life for us to eat steak, you know? And Paul knew that. Mature Christians knew that. But a new believer coming out of that demonic pagan activity would see the steak that we're eating as an offering to that demonic God that he has renounced. And that would cause him trouble in his thoughts. So Paul is okay that the mature Christian acts on that maturity and eats the steak in a way that honors God and doesn't ruin the new believer's new life in Christ. And the way to do that would be privately, right? To do that privately. If you wanna eat steak, in fact, he's gonna say in 1 Corinthians 10, when you go to someone's house, don't ask where the steak came from, just eat it, okay? Don't worry about that because it's nothing. So don't don't worry about that. But what he's talking about here is that what if they saw you eating at the Temple of Diana Steakhouse? Now that's the problem, right? And so we've got to be careful how we publicly live our lives because we have an obligation. We have an obligation to make sure that these who have been delivered out of bondage by Jesus Christ don't go back into that lifestyle because we lead them into that. We have an obligation to help Christians or new Christians mature and grow in their faith. And so when a new believer's faith is at risk, Paul will gladly lay aside his preferences for the good of the new believer. And what is Paul showing? He's showing grace, he's showing love, and he's showing humility when he does that. Isn't that to be the essence of who Jesus is? Jesus full of grace, full of love, and Jesus came as a humble servant. And if we call ourselves Christians, which means little Christ, we should be following his example with how we treat and live with others. So if we say we love Jesus and know he's the Lord, then that means by very default, we're gonna love people like he loved them as well. Are y'all there? Okay, just checking. So what about preferences? Well, again, he says eating meat offered to idols wasn't sinful. Okay, it's nothing. Idols are nothing, so the meat itself is not. But doing so at the expense of hurting a weaker brother or sister, that was what made it sin. So the question is then what are preferences? Well, here's the way I kind of define it. Preferences are behaviors for which the Bible gives no clear biblical prohibition, okay? So, you know, you can read the Bible and when you read it, there's nothing there that says you can't do that but we still need to have wisdom as to whether or not it's beneficial, such as what Paul's talking about here, eating food in an idol's temple. Because every believer is called to mature so that preferences never bring division. Now, I know, in, you know we are a non-denominational church, but you know, I have a Baptist background. Some of you may have a Methodist or a Catholic or whatever background as you come into this place. But one of the things is that often some of our backgrounds bring us some experiences that may have not been the very best. I know growing up in Memphis as a Baptist, what I found out is that our church, during my growing up years, we split three times, yes. So if you, if you don't know about Memphis, man, back in Memphis, the, the big thing in Memphis was Saturday morning wrestling because it was real. And, and, and it was the highest-rated TV show in Memphis, TV Studio Wrestling, Saturday morning, Memphis, Tennessee, 11 o'clock. But you know what was better than wrestling? Business meetings at my Baptist church. And it, 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 listen, it was awful. And you know what most churches fought over, including the church I grew up in? It wasn't over whether Jesus was Lord or not, it was over preferences. Is you know, how long does the preacher preach or how loud is the music or what's the color of the carpet? That's what we fought over. And every time we divided, you know what happened? Someone would quit going to church because here's what they say, if that's what Christians are like, I want nothing to do with that. And here we are fighting over stuff and causing younger Christians to stumble over things that make no difference in our own personal lives. I and mean, one of the things you guys know here is that we teach the Bible. The reason we go through book by book, chapter by chapter, line by line, is because we want to know not what Mike says, but what does the Bible say? So one of the things that we know the Bible says is that drunkenness is a sin. Drinking alcohol is not. But because we know that we have many of our fellowship who have recently come out of addiction to alcohol We as pastors and upper-level leaders in our church, we choose not to drink alcohol publicly. And the reason we do that is someone may see me with a beer eating my pizza at a pizza place, and they would go, hey, if Mike can drink beer, then it's okay for me to drink it, but they're only three weeks sober, and they won't stop at the one beer. They'll stop at number eight. And they'll go right back into that. And for God's sake, I will gladly lay aside that beer if it keeps that person from doing that. But that's that's the ethic of love. I love my brother way more than I love beer with pizza or whatever your preference is. You ought to have that same mindset. Now, I know some of you are also going, well, that's just being a hypocrite. Oh yeah, you say you can drink, but you won't drink. it. That's being a hypocrite. No, listen, a hypocrite is pretending to be someone that they're not. By me laying aside my preference out of love for those who struggle with alcohol, that's not being hypocritical. That's being like Jesus who gave himself up freely and laid aside his privileges for the good of everyone so that we could be saved. We are most like Jesus when we love others to the neglect of what we love. That is when We are being like Christ. So yeah, you can have your preferences, but don't let your preferences hurt others or divide believers. All right, so I told you, we go through those 13 verses pretty quick. But now we need to kind of do an inventory, right? We need to ask some questions of ourselves. And so humility. Now again, you know, C.S. Lewis said this, that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Okay, so it's not like poor me, I'm a nothing. It's no, I want to think of others more than I think of myself. So as we grow in our walk with Jesus, are we seeing an increase in humility? So in other words, I've become more and more like Jesus. And if I am really growing to be like Jesus, I'm going to become more and more humble thinking of others way more than I think of myself. Do you find that in your life? as you grow to be more like Jesus, you see humility growing in your life? How about this, do the people around us marvel at what we know more than how we love others? There are a lot of us that know a lot about this Bible, but if all you know about me is, oh wow, Mike seems to be pretty smart about the Bible, but you don't see Mike loving people and serving people, then I am puffing up myself and not building up others. As we grow, we want people to see how we love and know that about us more than they know how much we know. And then how about this, do we fight for our privileges? Do we get ticked off when we have to lay aside our privileges, or do we gladly and willingly lay those things down at Jesus' feet to say, you know, my privileges are nothing compared to my love for Jesus and love for people. I will always elevate Jesus and others way over my own preferences. That's humility in action. That's thinking of yourself less. And then are there times when we expect more of others than we expect of ourselves? Are we so prideful in our own way that we look at others, that we look at new Christians or younger Christians, and we expect them to be something that they're not gonna be yet? We expect them to do things that they're not gonna be able to do yet, but we don't hold ourselves to that same standard? That's what the group of people in the Bible who did that were the Pharisees. They expected everyone else to toe the line, but their hearts were very far from God. If all you know about me is what I know, but you don't know how I love, then you don't know me well, and I'm not living in a way that should be living. We need to be people that demonstrate that we love God and others way more than we love ourselves and our preferences. So that means we need to be growing in maturity. And the way we grow in maturity is an incredibly simple process. If you've attended here any number of times, you've already heard Corey or someone else up on the stage say these four things. You need to be reading the Word, you need to be praying daily, you need to be attending worship on a regular basis, and you need to be in an accountability small group. You will, you, you know, people will say, hey, I wanna grow. Do those four things. Read the Bible every single day, pray every day, come to worship, you guys get the pass, right? You're here, okay? And then you also need to make sure that you are in a small group. Now, listen, I know there are people watching online right now, and you know, for a lot of them they couldn't be here, they're on vacation or whatever, sick. That's fine. But when the weekends come, you need to be here. This is where God wants us to be. And then you need to leave this place and be hanging out with other believers in a small group. Now, we know that the great commandment says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Look at these four things. If you're in the Word and you're praying, you're gonna be loving God. And if you're gathering in worship and you're in a small group, you're gonna be loving people. Isn't that amazing? The four simple things that the Word of God gives us are the things that are gonna help us love God and love people. But this is what we've gotta be doing all the time. And this is what's going to fuel your growth. We've already asked this, but again, just remind you, are we more offended by the remaining sin we see in us rather than the sin we see in others? Or do we look out there and go, man, look at all that sin out there. I'm doing pretty good. You remember when Jesus told the story of the two men praying in the temple? One was a tax collector and the other one was a Pharisee. The Pharisee was bragging to God about all the things he did for God and finally said, and Lord, thank you most of all, I'm not like this guy." And you remember the tax collector wouldn't even lift up his head, but he just kept beating his chest saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, there was only one of those men that left justified, and it wasn't the righteous man. It was the humble man. I think I remember Jesus also saying about, you know, don't worry about the splinter in other people's eyes when you got this big telephone pole coming out yours. First, take care of your your telephone pole, and then you worry about the splinter. You see how how the Word of God changes everything that this world teaches us? And we live in a very narcissistic and hedonistic world. Narcissism says it's all about me. Hedonism says it's all about my pleasure. And the teachings of the scriptures as given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ just chop away at the root of our pride, saying, no, it's not about you and it's not about your pleasure. It's about Jesus and it's about others. So instead of being offended at what the world is doing, I need to look at the mirror and say, Lord, what is in my heart that's far from you? What are the things I need to be giving you? What are the things I need to turn over to you? Now, let me flip this for just one quick second. Have we remained as a weaker brother or sister for too long? So there are some of you who are Christians and you've been Christians for 10, 20 years, maybe five years. You've been a Christian a while and you are still easily offended. Have you figured out we live in an easily offended culture? I mean, there are some of you that will be offended that I even quoted C.S. Lewis. Oh, how how dare you quote Do you remember when Paul in Acts chapter 17 was walking the streets of Athens? and he was provoked because of all the gods that were there, and when he got an opportunity to speak to the Athenians, do you remember he quoted one of their pagan poets to prove that there was only one God? Look it up and read it yourself. He quoted a secular poet. Be like me quoting uh, you know, Bob Dylan or something, right? That great theologian. <laughs> he wrote a great song called, You Gotta Serve Somebody. Amen, you yeah. But isn't all truth God's truth? And whether we find it in some writing here or something there, I mean, people will send emails, say, oh, I can't believe you quoted and so-and-so. Hey, if it's truth or helps us to illustrate truth, we're not afraid to use those illustrations. We're gonna do that, why? Because we want people to know that all truth is His, and we find it primarily in the Bible, but we see God's echoes of His truth everywhere we turn. It's not that they're not out there, it's that we choose to ignore it. So what I'm saying to you is quit being always offended. At a certain level, we've got to grow up and realize, you know, if people have preferences and they choose to do some things that are different from me, as long as it's not going against scripture, God bless them. It won't offend me. I'll let them live in their freedom. But yes, we have to be aware of the weaker brother, but Paul never intends for us to stay a weaker brother or sister. We are to grow in our maturity. Now, this whole book of 1 Corinthians, one of the reasons why it's so applicable is about culture and the culture that Paul was in, that church was in, the culture we're in now. And one of the ways we can easily offend weaker brothers or sisters is how we engage culture. So there's a few questions I wanna ask us about that. First, do we value politics in such a way that new believers think our hope is in a party and not in Jesus? Friends, I want you to be reminded of this. It doesn't matter who is sitting in the White House or in Nashville or on the city council in Murfreesboro. Only God can change a heart. Now, that doesn't mean we don't vote. That doesn't mean we don't engage. But at the end of the day, not one single law will change anyone's behavior. Have you ever driven on I-24? I see all the time these little signs that people ignore that say speed limit, not speed start, speed limit 75, and I'm driving 70, or excuse me, 70. (laughs) Thank you, I'm here all week. Yeah, Yeah, speed limit 70, but people are passing you at 80, 85, right? There's a law that says, no, the limit is this, and people's hearts are saying, eh, it's a suggestion. (laughs) And that's what we have to realize, though. Oftentimes we watch these news channels and we get all worked up and we think it's all this problem, it's that party's problem and that party's problem and, and all that, and we don't take responsibility for our own lives. But guys, listen, if you want to change this world, instead of being concerned about who's in the White House, go to the house next door and share Jesus with your neighbor. And then what you do after that is then you and your neighbor go share with the next neighbor. Next thing you know, you've won your street. And then go win your street. And the next thing you know, you've won a block. And next thing you've won your block, you won a neighborhood. Next thing you know, you won a city. Next thing you know, you won a county. Next thing you know, you won a, si- a state. Next thing you know, you've won a nation and then we send people out to go win the world. That's how we're going to change this world. Yeah, vote for who you want to vote for, but at the end of the day, you better be more committed to Christ than you are to your politics. That's how we cause weaker brothers to stumble, though. They think, oh, you guys are always so afraid of who's in the White House and stuff. That must be the real issue in America. No, the real issue is our hearts. Our hearts are far from God. How about this? Do we value entertainment in such a way that new believers think our joy is found in distraction rather than discipleship? What do I mean by that? You know, there's a little thing going on this weekend that I really love, I do. It's called March Madness. Thank you, St. Peter's, for bursting the brackets, right, you know? I watched a little bit last night in Memphis playing my my hometown college that I grew up in Memphis, and they got beat by Gonzaga, you know? So I, I know that, but I didn't stay up and watch the end of the game, and I'm not bragging on me. I'm just saying it was too late, and I knew I'd be here teaching, and rather to be ready to teach than watch my team finish playing. There are some of you that you know your bracket though, or you know your team statistics, or you know all the characters in your favorite TV show, and you know what they do in their private lives, and you know all this. You know all kinds of things more than you know Jesus Christ. And if you know culture more than you know Christ, you have shown to the weaker brothers entertainment and distraction is way better than discipleship and loving Jesus. We've got to be people that are people who, yeah, I like sports and I watch the Marvel movies. I like all of that. But at the end of the day, I should be spending way more time in God's word and with God's people than I am being entertained. But there are people who are coming out of that to Christ who have been so seduced by this world's entertainment system that if all we do is talk about that more than we talk about how we love Jesus, they're going to think, oh, it's okay to stay in that lifestyle and stay distracted and they'll never grow. What kind of life are we modeling? And then does the world hold power over our joy or do the promises of the world or of the word? Do you get what I'm asking there is this? Listen. Jesus said, this world is going to have trouble. But what we do is we look at the world. We watch these news channels and, you know, we call it around here, fear porn. And we get all worked up and we think the world is falling apart. And I know in some ways it is, but you know what? My hope is not in what the world is going to do. My hope is in the one who is the Lord over this world. And what we do, though, is if we show to new believers that we are fearful instead of faithful, if we show to the world that we live in discontent instead of being contented in Jesus, then we're saying to them, yeah, there's a lot of things way more important that should scare you more than trusting in Jesus. And friends, when you are in Christ, your trust in him should trump everything else that goes on in this world. What are we teaching these young believers? Are we teaching them what it means to be counter-cultural in a way that brings honor and glory to the Lord? So at the end of the day, ultimately, all of us need to be disciples who make disciples. Our mission statement says that we make authentic followers of Jesus Christ. And authentic followers of Jesus Christ make other authentic followers of Jesus Christ. So we need to be disciple makers who are making disciples. And how do we do that? Well, first, we need to make sure that we explain to new believers not just the what of what it means to follow Jesus, but also the why. Isn't this exactly what Paul's doing here in chapter eight? Here's the what. Eating meat offered to idols, there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, but there's a why behind that. Hey, sometimes you're gonna have to lay down your preferences, that's the what. Here's why you may have to lay down your preferences. The word of God never just says, do this, don't do that. The word of God says, do this, why? So you can increase your joy, that's the why. Or so that you can be free from bondage, that's the why. And we need to be people who don't just look down our noses and say, do this, don't do that. We need to be people who say, and here's why, because it's gonna be ultimately for your benefit. Which means that we've gotta be in God's word so that we know that God is not just some ogre in the sky trying to tell us stay off his lawn. He is a God who has created all things for his glory and for our good, and the devil who cannot create anything distorts the good creation of God. We need to take people back to the goodness that God has given us through his word and the why behind the what. Are we patient and kind and gentle with new believers? You get irritated, you know? I mean, have y'all ever been with a three-year-old who asks why over and over and over, you know? And, and you're just like, you know, dear Lord, come quickly, right? <laughs> but sometimes we can be short with those who are new believers, and they, they just need, why? Help, help me understand that. And so I need to be patient, kind, and gentle with new believers, and by the way, can I tell you, you already have help in you to be able to do that. He's called the Holy Spirit. And do you know the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 says to be kind and gentle and patient? You have everything you need to be that to new believers, to help them grow in their faith, hopefully because people were patient and kind and gentle with you. How about this? Do you invite new believers to join into life with you? Too many of us isolate, we'll leave this place and we'll isolate for six days and then we'll come back on Sunday. And that is not at all the way the body of Christ is meant to be. In fact, we are called the body We are a community of believers that are linked as brothers and sisters in Jesus. And so we should be caring for one another and encouraging one another and helping one another and loving one another and visiting one another and serving one another. There's all these one another passages in the New Testament that only work when we are with one another. And so you know this as well, that a lot of times we learn more by observing And so, you know, you got a a new couple that have just come to faith in Jesus Christ and they don't know what a Christian marriage looks like. Invite them into your home to see one. You have new believers that have come to faith and they have small children. They don't know what it means to raise children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Invite them over and let them hang out with your family. I know some of you right now are going, oh, dear God, not my house. (laughs) But even in your failures, you teach people grace, don't you? God never expects us to be perfect. He expects us, though, to be welcoming to new believers and share life with them. And then lastly, does our love for Jesus ooze out in how we relate to others? Because Jesus is our ultimate example of what it means to love the Father and to love people. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, when he gathered his disciples on that Thursday night, He instituted the Lord's Supper communion. We're gonna do that in just a moment. But then he also said something that I think is really appropriate as we finish this lesson. He said, I give you a new command, love one another. Now friends, if you don't understand this, let me tell you, that was not a new command. Because Jesus had been asked earlier in his ministry, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The love one another was in the Old Testament, so that's not the new command. What's the new command? Just as I have loved you. Because in just a few hours on the next day, on that Friday, Jesus is gonna be laid on a cross, nails driven through his wrists and his feet, He's gonna be erected on that cross for all to see and to mock and to scorn and to spit and to cast all vile manner of insults against him. And he's doing that because while we were yet sinners, he loved us and died for us. Jesus, the one who created everyone that had driven the nails, everyone who had given him that false Uh, conviction, everyone who had turned from him, everyone that was insulting him. He had made every single one of them and he let them do that to him out of love. And you're saying, I'm not willing to lay down my preferences? If you want to be a man or a woman who loves well, you need to love like Jesus. And here's an interesting thing, isn't it? In verse 35, Jesus said, the way they will know you're my disciples is not by how often you attend worship or right, how many many times you volunteer for a community cleaning day, or by how much you sing and raise your hands, or how much you amen a sermon, or how much money you give to the church, people will know that you are my disciples in the love you have for one another. Dear friends, I believe the Holy Spirit of God is grieved when we misuse these grace gifts that God has given us to lift up our preferences to the harm and detriment of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus did not love by taking. Jesus showed his love by giving. And that's what we've been called to do. Will you bow your heads with me? Maybe you're here and maybe you're not a Christian or maybe you're a really new Christian and you're still trying to figure out this walk with Jesus. Maybe you wanna have a walk with Jesus or there's some barriers to you becoming a Christian that you have some questions about. Well, Pastor Muhammad is up here on my right and your left. Pastor Muhammad came out of another religion. He came out of Islam and came to faith in Jesus Christ, I can't think of a better person for you to come and talk to and ask, hey, what about this? What, What brought you to faith in Jesus? Muhammad will be glad to talk to you about that. Maybe you're here and you're hurting physically or you're hurting emotionally, you're hurting spiritually, financially, and you're just saying, I just need someone to pray for me. Well, there are men and women on both sides of the stage. And don't be embarrassed to come up and ask for prayer, friends. We are all equal here before the Lord. They're not gonna look down on you because maybe you're finding yourself in a bad situation. They're gonna lift you up before the Lord. So come and ask for prayer. And then lastly, everywhere around the room where you see a lamp on the table, there's communion. The bread represents the body of Jesus broken for sinners. The uh, the juice represents the blood of Jesus shed for sinners. It is a reminder that Jesus died not so that we could boast in our preferences, but so we could lay them down like he did. And you're gonna have a physical, tangible reminder of the sacrifice of Jesus for you. The only thing we ask is that you repent of your sins. Because if you are willfully walking in sin and you eat and drink, you're making a mockery of what Jesus died. He didn't die to keep you in your sin. He died to deliver you from your sins. And so repent. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I know it's, you know, this is the last service, and it's real easy just to cut loose or maybe just grab it on your way out. But could you just take a few moments today and ask God, you know, where am I in my walk with you, Lord? Am I maturing in my faith? And as I mature, as I mature, am I growing more humble? Am I loving people the way that represents how Jesus loved me? and then eat and drink. And in just a moment, Kyle, he's gonna pray as we close out our services. So would you just be willing to maybe take a little extra time? And let's let's allow the Spirit to speak to us this morning. Our Father, we are grateful that you are a God who loves us, who has given himself for us through Jesus. And now, Father, I pray that as we leave this place that in just a few minutes after Kyle prays that we will leave with our eyes lifted up with humble hearts, thanking you for who you are and what you've done for us and then humbly looking to serve others even at the cost of laying aside privileges that we and preferences that we think we have but which ultimately mean nothing if it hurts others. Use us for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys, you can help yourselves.